0: Private Lender Podcast, Episode 84. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Steve Maraboli, who said, The victim mindset dilutes the human potential. By not accepting personal responsibility for our circumstances, we greatly reduce our power to change them. Greetings, everyone, in Lender Nation, and welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Baker, and this is episode 84. If you're looking for practical tips and advice on mitigating risk in private mortgage lending, then you are in the right place. But if you also want to learn from my mistakes so that you can avoid them, then have a seat, my friend, because this podcast is created for those who are looking to take control of their financial future and diversify their investments without banks and Wall Street or toilets, tenants, and termites. Ultimately, I'd like to create a tribe of private lenders that act as the bank to active real estate investors and change not only the lending landscape, but also the landscape and the methods in which we teach our children about money. I think together we can all prosper without the do too big to fail banking systems. And let's face it, the world is in flux. And I think it's time for some radical acceptance of some alternative Ways of making money, uh, legal, ethical, and moral. So I just want you to think about this for a second. When economies go into recession, the money supply gets tight, meaning banks aren't as willing to loan as much or they're not willing to loan to risky borrowers, right? The one thing the banks have over private lenders is the multiplier. So, meaning if a private lender has $100,000 in an account, that's all that private lender he or she can lend is 100000 However, if a bank gets $100,000 in deposits, the federal government allows it to loan, in some cases, up to a million or more. And that's a multiplier, right? So there's a 10 times multiplier. If you have 100000 and you can loan, and the federal government will allow you to loan a million, that's a 10 times multiplier. But in recessions, those multipliers reduce, And when they reduce, the money supply gets tight and banks stop lending to people who have no business. First off, for the first people are the ones that have no business borrowing money on properties they can't afford. And it trickles down. It it tightens up all around to where even banks will only loan you in in deep recessions. They will only loan you money if you don't need it. Bottom line, that's the best position to be in credit wise is to not need money because banks will be coming after you left and right with all types of offers. But when the banks won't lend to real estate investors, I will. And this is something I should clarify a little bit. I will loan in my backyard market and others if I'm comfortable with my level of knowledge in that particular market. Because when everyone's running for cover and CNBC and CNN and NBC and Fox and all the faux news and everybody else says, run for the exits. In that moment when there's blood in the streets, that is the moment when you want to lend. That's As a private lender, that's when you're ready to go because that's when the sweet deals will be created. And those are the deals that I want to lend on because a good and well-seasoned investor, active investor with private lenders on speed dial will be able to close fast. And when the economy sucks and your borrower can close within two weeks on a property, they usually get a pretty damn good deal, right? So When I say good deal, what I'm saying is it lowers the loan to value, right? So let's say if the house, after it's fixed up ARV, after repaired value is 100 grand, let's use simple math. You got a $100,000 house in tight economic times, $100,000 house that needs 10 grand in repairs to get it up to 100 grand, that investor can get it for like 50,000, 40,000 all in. So the amount of money that you're loaning, your loan to value, your loan to that ARV goes down, right? And that is what helps mitigate the risk of the investment because all investments have risk, but the lower the LTV, the loan to value, the more room for error you're allowing your investor to maybe over-improve the property just a little, right? Or if it takes a little longer to sell because in recessions, houses don't sell very fast, right? So instead of a three to four month flip, maybe now you're looking at eight to 12 months. Who knows? But that lower LTV gives you that room for error, gives you that risk mitigation, and allows, it forgives a lot of sins. And that's why when the recession does come and the banks aren't going to lend, that's why I'm trying to build this tribe of lenders. And I want to thank you for being a part of that tribe, because when it hits the fan, we're all going to be ready, and we're all going to make some money. Well, at least I hope so. Enough of that rant, let's get down to the brass tacks, because today I wanted to speak to you on... Deficiency judgments, which goes hand in hand with your due diligence, so to speak. So let's get into it. Recently, I published on the podcast that I lost $18,000 on a second lien because I did not perform my due diligence. I trusted a friend, right? Never trust, always verify. And a lot of people say, wow, you're very forgiving, so on and so forth. But the truth be told is I didn't do my due diligence. It's on me. It's my fault. And it's a lesson learned. It's a lesson I've tried to share. I hope I shared with you guys and that you guys take to heart. But in Texas, where I lend mostly, we have the notion of deficiency judgments. And what that means is basically that since my second position lien was never paid and the first position foreclosed and wiped me out, I can now sue that borrower for that $18,000 and get a judgment, which are not that difficult to get. It's pretty straightforward. I have the promissory note, I have the deed of trust, and I have the court documents where my lien was wiped out when the first lien foreclosed. Now, let's just say that I've learned my lesson and I should have done better. However, I inquired, I found the attorney who foreclosed on the first lien and I reached out to that attorney and I said, hi, I have the second lien, which they were unaware, which tells me they didn't do a proper title search, but you don't need to when you're foreclosing. All you need to do is just go file your paperwork with the county clerk. However, it was my fault. So I just had a squirrel moment. I apologize. So I reached out to this attorney and I want to read you this email that I got. Right. So I have an $18,000 second position lien on a house that has now been wiped out because my dumbass didn't do my due diligence and trusted a friend. So I reached out to this attorney. He emailed me later in that same afternoon saying he was very busy. And I've got the email here. I'm going to read it to you pretty much verbatim just to give you an idea of what we're talking about. So a deficiency judgment is this. I lost my second position lien when the first lien foreclosed. So now I can go to court and sue that borrower and get a deficiency judgment against them saying, OK, you owe me 18 grand. And usually the court will attach it to a piece of property or something else such that it, and I believe it's good for 10 years. Check your local jurisdictions, but it's usually good for seven to 10 years. And after that seven to 10 years, I can refile to have a judgment. Now, a judgment is a kiss of death on a real estate investor because I won't loan anyone who has a judgment against them, except for landlords. If a tenant sues a landlord, I pretty much forgive that. Not saying it's right or wrong. It's just the way I operate. A lot of landlords get sued by tenants who know how to game the system. So you can either have a crappy landlord if they have judgments against them, or you can have a very good one whose tenants are trying to game the system. You just got to figure it out. But nonetheless, this deficiency judgment, I have the option to file this lawsuit against the borrower individually for the deficiency, the eighteen thousand plus interest and now court costs. And I'm really thinking about doing that right now. Even though it is a friend and they said they'll pay me back. They they said that when they signed the promissory note. So for me in a business situation, I'm thinking about going ahead. However, let me read you this email from the attorney that handled the foreclosure on the first lien. So if there are any attorneys out there who work pro bono or on the cheap in Texas, let me know. I'll be more than happy to throw this your way and uh, maybe even interview you on the podcast. It says says uh, Mr. Baker. Apologize for the delay. It's a very busy lien deadline. I emailed him around the 15th of the month, which in Texas is uh, the 15th is the deadline for filing of uh, liens, lawsuits on liens. But he also needed to get some input from his client to see whether the lender for the first position wanted to go after and pursue a deficiency judgment, in which case he could not represent me because that'd be a conflict of interest. However, that borrower has said, "Nope, I'm not going to pursue a deficiency judgment. There's nothing preventing this attorney from representing me. So that leaves this attorney free to help me. He states that his client mentioned that my borrower, has no assets from which to recover a deficiency which is legal code for if you pay me the money i'll fight this for you but i'm not doing it on contingency which means attorneys will work either on retainer you pay the money up front to handle a case or on contingency they will get a you know about 35 50 percent of any judgment or anything that's awarded to that attorney's client so what he's telling me is that my borrower doesn't have any assets in their name from which to, I can recover a deficiency. He goes on, I do not have any personal knowledge of the matter, but I figured I would relay the information. So what he's telling me is I'll take your money, but don't expect great results. That's what I take from this. Then it says, if you would still like to proceed, please send me a copy of the promissory note and deed of trust. I have a copy of the recorded deed of trust, but has been redacted to remove account numbers because I, I loaned out of my self-directed IRA. Also, please send me a copy of any notice of default intent to accelerate and acceleration. If notices have not been sent pursuant to the note, there may be some pre-lawsuit notices which should be sent. And that, that's standard that you got to let the borrower know you you're going to accelerate the loan. They haven't satisfied the conditions of the loan therefore as a lender i do have the right to accelerate the loan call the loan due foreclose get my money take the property back so to speak so if any notices have been sent, i would still like to send a demand letter before filing suit i will need to know the balance owing to the extent the information is not included in any notices to the borrower good night sweetie in addition i will need a current address for the borrower to send any notices and have the citation served once the lawsuit is filed. That's pretty straightforward. Normal legalese. You know, we need the documents by which the borrower agreed to repay. I will have to show the record where the borrower failed to repay every payment that was made. But here's the deficiency. Here's where they've not held up to their end of the bargain. So now I can foreclose. And that, that's pretty straightforward. This is where it gets really interesting. Because remember, I lost $18,000 principal plus interest, and legal fees in, in general. So the lawyer goes on to say, to proceed with filing the lawsuit for the balance due in the note, I will need to get a $2,000 retainer from you. Okay. Now, when I spoke to this attorney on the phone, it was 1000 But in all fairness, the attorney was shooting from the hip because I put that attorney on the spot and said, look, you're handling the first foreclosure. Why don't you do a, a deficiency judgment for me? I want to file for deficiency. And this attorney was like, okay, well, you know, I've come to them shooting from the hip thousand dollars. Now it's two thousand. And I haven't shopped this around yet, right? So maybe I will and bring it back on. I think I should shop it around a little bit to a few attorneys and then come back with some prices. However, this particular law firm, all they do is real estate. That's it. They're very specialized. And the two cheapest people you can have on your team are a good attorney and a good CPA. Bottom line. And I know everyone hates attorneys, myself included. I've got some friends that are attorneys, but when you need them, you need them, and you need a good one, and you pay for good work. So this particular attorney wants two thousand dollar retainer. I'm considering it right now on an eighteen thousand dollar loss. I don't know if I'm going to do it. Let me continue reading from this email. Our hourly rates are two to two fifty per hour, and everything is billed on that hourly basis. Uh, The court filing and service costs for the lawsuit will be between $400 and $500. So I'm looking at about $2,500 to file this deficiency judgment. Continuing on from the email, and there will be attorney's fees to prepare the lawsuit and send any pre lawsuit notices. So basically that $2,000 does not include any demand letters, notice to accelerate or acceleration letters. So if you are a private lender who does not have a whole lot of money, I would suggest getting with somebody figuring out sending demand letters and doing that on on your own before the attorney actually files. What I am doing right now is also trying to figure out if I can do this on my own. Unfortunately, $18,000 is too much to sue somebody in a small claims court in Texas. So, I've got I'll have to do it in at the county level and most likely get an attorney. So, Right out of the gate, we're at $2,500 plus additional fees. So let's just go ahead and call it $3,000 to file this lawsuit for a deficiency judgment of which I'll never see again. So let me go back to the reading. In the event there is no answer to the lawsuit, I will hopefully be able to get a default judgment with relatively minimal fees. We can discuss what to expect. If you would like to proceed, please contact me at your convenience so we can discuss your claim. So pretty straightforward letter from an attorney, I know rare these days, right? But uh, that's where we're at. That's where I'm at. So here it is. And I'm recording this in the middle of August. And I'm trying to decide if I'm going to sue a friend of mine <laughs> for a deficiency judgment. I am well within my rights to do so. I have loaned money to a borrower with conditions that those conditions were not met. And I have the right to file a deficiency judgment. Sue for that. And I could go against a personal residence, perhaps a vehicle, like most real estate investors, this particular borrower is very frugal. So frugal they don't pay their loans. <laughs> they don't pay their loans back. But I'm kind of torn. On one side, I, I you know, the liberal on me is like, you know, give this person a chance. They've made a mistake. The conservative side is saying, hey, you do what's within your rights. And the middle road is, in a very cerebral fashion of thinking, I loaned money. I stood up to my end of the bargain. Right. I provided the money for the loan and the borrower has not repaid. And so I think I've just spoken this has been a great therapy session for me. I wish it was free, <laughs> but I think I will proceed if it even if it does cost me $3,000 or my my IRA $3,000. And maybe I'll have another episode on this here shortly, but there's one thing I do want to say about deficiency judgments before I sign off and that they're not allowed in every state in the United States. Okay. And this is my understanding. Check with your local attorneys, check with your local ordinances, jurisdictions, What you know, trust. I never trust, always verify. So I'm going to tell you something, but you need to go verify. That's your job. I won't tell you. You got to go figure this stuff out. But it's my understanding that there are several states that do not allow for deficiency judgments. I'm not saying you shouldn't loan in these states. I'm just letting you know that this is not available to everyone who's hearing this. Those states that do not allow deficiency judgments, to my understanding, are Alaska. Arizona, California, Connecticut, Hawaii, Iowa, Minnesota, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, North Carolina, North Dakota, Oregon, Washington, and Wisconsin. Again, this is not a deterrent against private lending in these states. Just know that you can't go get a deficiency judgment, right? Now, it's my understanding, and I will relay this with more You know, information as this process goes. But my understanding is once I do have a court declared judgment, I could then sell that judgment for pennies on the dollar to some collections agency and they can go after the borrower for that money and get the full 18,000 plus whatever's due, yada, yada, yada. I don't know if I'm going to sell it off or not, if I'm just going to keep it, we'll see. But this whole experience has brought me into another frame of mind or another pillar for private lending. Never trust, always verify. ROI is the most important thing, the return of your investment. But I think another pillar should be do not wait for the other party to do the right thing because they will rarely do it. Once we humans get backed into a corner, we're just like any other animal. We lose all rationality, I think. It's just my belief. but And I think that's what happened in this case. This particular borrower got backed in a corner, didn't know what to do. And I, I feel for that borrower. At the same time, I held up my end of the bargain. They did not. In a weird way, I'm saying thank you for listening to me talk myself into suing my friend. (laughs) Hey, this is America. First, this week, I'm going to sue my friend. Next week, I'm going to sue a ham sandwich. Yeah, and I'm going to win, too. You watch. You watch. I'm going to win. I'm going to sue a ham sandwich, and I'm going to win. You hear that, Chris Johnson? CJ contracting? I'm going to sue it. I'm going to sue a ham sandwich. Anyway, I think I've gone off on enough tangents for tonight, and I probably need to go to bed and tuck the kids in. But before I do, I just want to say it would mean a tremendous amount to me if you could leave me an honest rating and review over at iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast, whatever platform you're on, Spotify, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iTunes, whatever. It doesn't matter. The more ratings and reviews I get, and it doesn't matter if it's a one star. I don't want a one star. And if you've listened to this more than one time and you give me a one star, I'll, tr- I'll hunt you down. <laughs> no, I won't. But yes, I want the five-star reviews, but I please just give me an honest review. I do read them. So if if there is some constructive criticism in there, I would love to hear it. And iTunes is still the 400-pound gorilla in the room, and they've made it a little easier to leave a rating review. So Private lender Podcast on iTunes, please leave it there. That would help me out the most. Short of that, just leave a review on whatever platform that you use to listen to this podcast on. I would greatly, greatly appreciate it. And please also connect with me on social media Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and bigger pockets. Links to all of those social channels can be found at Podcast.com. Just go to the show notes or the, uh, I think it's on the top bar. All of my social media are uh, on the top menu. So it's getting late in the hour. I uh, want to thank you for your time and your consideration. And I want to ask you to keep reaching out to me, Keith at Podcast.com. I got a text today from a guy wanting to drop some money in the Houston area. He doesn't have any, any loans or any deals to loan on in his home state. So he reached out to me today. Appreciate it. email me. And uh, I really do appreciate all the feedback I get. So I'm going to leave it for you tonight. And I, besides health and happiness and most importantly, self-awareness, I do wish you all safe and prosperous private lending. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review and we'll catch you next time.